Welcome to the It Just Is podcast. I am your host, Michael Smalley, and today is a very special show because I interview one of my best friends in life, Casey McCown, and we have a brutally honest discussion about a morning in November of 2019 which was really the first and only major time in my life I was ever genuinely suicidal. So I had a plan. I was about ready to implement said plan until, thank the Lord, God intervened and reminded me that, hey, maybe instead of grabbing that gun up at the up in your closet, maybe you should call your friend Casey. And, and why don't we wait, put that on the shelf, leave the gun on the shelf for now and call Casey. And I wanted to have this conversation with Casey because, well, as I've said from the beginning of relaunching my podcast, that I want to be brutally honest. And I also wanted an opportunity for you to hear from someone that was intimately involved in Oh, the chaos of my life the last five years. But one of the guys, so I actually called Casey first, and then I called Seth. Both of them came over that morning and hung out with me for about four to five hours. But it's a really beautiful conversation. One, I just love that man, Casey. I love Seth, too. And if you ever listened to my previous podcast, Seth and I host co-hosted together for a number of years. But... It's a beautiful interview with Casey sharing his own feelings. At one point, we get into a fairly huge insight that Casey has had in his own life, oh, three or four months ago. I know you're going to be encouraged. I hope you're encouraged. I think it's going to give you some highly practical things that you can do either if you're feeling like I was back in the fall, November 2019. Or if you're a friend or a loved one or a family member of someone who is in a place where I was, and I think you'll be encouraged on what you can do, and you're going to learn some really valuable lessons. And then, as you've probably already noticed, this is my first explicit <laughs> podcast. I think one, because you need to understand we were talking about suicide and I'm being brutally honest about it. And I cuss a couple of times in the episode. It was appropriate. You might be offended by that, and I apologize. But uh, there are some things said in fun, but uh, some crazy stories are also shared from Casey and I's friendship together since 2006. So sit back, relax, turn the volume up, and enjoy my interview with my best friend, Casey McCown. I'm lighting my Joe Rogan cigar. Ah, uh, we're going to, it's going to be one of those podcasts. Yes. Let me get the whiskey. Boom. Shaka-laka-laka. Hello, my friend. Good morning. Well, that was an adventurous beginning. That was adventurous. Life with you is always adventurous, Dr. Smalley. 
Oh, we're going formal. We are. What do I That's call you? Your title, Master Casey. You can call me Captain. You can Captain. 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 That's my nickname. I'm not sure how I acquired that nickname. Oh yeah, you did because you Ever were the boss. Knowledge. You were the boss at A and M. I was. I was the boss. You were the king. In seventh grade, the nickname was Dumpster Boy. <laughs> and I have to assume it has nothing to do with trash, but more to do with your bowel issues. Yes. Yeah. I, I think it was maybe something to do with pizza, digging pizza out of a trash can at youth group or something. <laughs> that sounds about right. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. It's always a pleasure to get to talk with you. I was thinking about some of the many adventures that we've had together over the years. Yeah. What's What's been your uh, favorite, your highlight? I think one of the highlights definitely had to be Zimbabwe. Yes. That's, that's one of my favorite memories of my entire life was in the Perusian airport. Do you remember yep. what you did to me? I, I do. <laughs> Headphones. Oh my gosh. If uh, So let me explain to the listener. Casey and I are a couple of idiots. And we decided, well, I was invited to Zimbabwe. You and I had just met. How how long had we actually known each other? I don't I, I think maybe about a year. Maybe less, six months. Six months sounds better. I would have gone with like two weeks, but whatever. Yeah, that was, and did I say six six months, six weeks? Yeah, you meant yeah. six. You meant six weeks. That's right, six days. It was twenty four hours later, and we were headed to Zimbabwe together, and we had this epic. Oh my gosh, can we even get into the? Do you remember what I did? To help us get through customs into Paris, get through customs, yes. I remember, we. <laughs> you said just go with it. I I really did, didn't I? That is not a lie. You did I literally so looked at you because they kept agent. They kept rejecting Americans, like they weren't letting Americans into France because they hate Americans. Yep, that's right. And I just I came up. So you won't with what I would still argue is one of the most genius impromptu plans ever. It, it was ingenious. <laughs> it really some great restaurant recommendations as well. <laughs> I think we even got some free food and wine later on that day. So my, my genius plan is if, if these guys hate Americans, then what would be the American they might actually accept in France? And so I literally, that's what I love about you, is I gave you no heads up on what I was about to do, which just hit me at the spur of the moment. And you were like, all right, I'll roll with it. And so as the guy, you know, took our passports, he was getting ready to reject us. And he said, what are you doing here? And I... And I say, oh, we're here celebrating our honeymoon. We're at our honeymoon. We just got married. And he went, what? That's right. 
this is not legal in America. Actually, yes, it is. It's legal in Boston. So we got in Boston and he was like, oh, we congratulations. And they let us through. So you and I got to play a gay couple for the entire day in Paris. It was. It was wonderful. It really and was. But you were in uh you were in basketball shorts. I was. I was in I think in November. Both of us kind of felt like we were both in nasty basketball shorts. Now you probably had jeans on. I think I had jeans on, but I I um in my lack of cross cultural awareness of where we were going to in Zimbabwe didn't did not pack appropriately. And uh, because of a joke, I think our host was playing on us. And uh, so I thought we were going to be essentially living in the bush for two weeks. And so I, I brought only my worst clothes in my, from my closet. Not only your worst clothes, this man packed an entire six-foot-long, three-foot-wide um, suitcase thing, a duffel bag, full of like granola bars because you were so terrified that we wouldn't be able to eat any of the food. I brought them to feed the children on Apple. <laughs> yeah, you did. You had, we did end up giving a bunch of them away because yes, you're right. Our host was playing a practical joke on us, which was pretty brilliant. So we genuinely, you and I went to Zimbabwe and we believed that we were going to be, in essence, sleeping in one of those circular tent things. And he went so far, if you remember, to go, are you comfortable? You know, I'll move the goats and the animals outside Absolutely. while you're here. And we were like, oh, my Lord, what have we done? And, of course, it ended up being a total joke. We stayed in a beautiful home in Harare and had a wonderful time. And... We di Oh, we didn't finish the... So when we were coming back, what was it, like 10 days, two weeks, something like that? Yeah, that's about right. And we're tired. We're exhausted. We're in Paris. The plane starts to board, and you had your gigantic oversized headphones on. <laughs> so I lovingly assumed... Or oversized headphones were cool. Yeah, yeah, I have mine on right now. You have your cool, sleek headphones on what are those like uh fancy studio guitarist yeah well they're my they're my in-ear monitors oh your worship pastory headphones yeah my my musicians you know stage in ears so this idiot casey's sitting oblivious that we're boarding and so i lovingly reach down and i touch his headphone to kind of pull it away from his ear to go hey we're boarding and the second I touched his headphone, he screams at the top of his lungs. I mean, literally, as loud as he could make his voice go, he screams, Don't touch my headphones! <laughs> and that is from a classic movie, There's Something About Mary, which is a favorite of ours. And, I mean, he, he scared me so bad that I screamed in response in terror the one word that i always scream if someone really scares me i will scream at the top of my lungs ship but it's not ship i'm just trying to keep it clean 
Let's go Keep for it. Playing for the kids. Let's go for it. I'll put you'll be my first explicit episode. How do you feel about that? Oh, wow. So Casey said, Don't touch my headphones. And I scream shit as loud as I mean, echoed through the halls of the airport there. I mean, there's hundreds of people gathered around us to board, and everyone kind of jumped, and now everyone's looking at it. And then you and I laughed. I almost threw up. I laughed so hard. I think I cured memories. If I had any sort of incurable disease in that moment, it was cured by the level of laughter. I mean, we were on the ground, rolling, weeping. It was like one of those really awkward, this is so stupid, that you and I both lost it completely. Yes, we did. Hey, just so you know, just so you know, and this whole episode will be a, a case study on ADD, but I'm staring out the window, front window of my bus, my schoolie that I live in, and dude, there's gotta be maybe a eight to 12 point buck across the road, huge. He's actually, he's one of the biggest I've seen. How jealous are you right now that I am in the- I'm very jealous. Mountains of Colorado in my schoolie. It just snowed, so there's a nice dusting of snow on the ground. And where are you? I am in Conroe, Texas. Yeah, you are. And and, and uh, I don't think it, I don't think winter has hit yet. And, and about 70 degrees outside. When it does finally hit, you still won't know it's winter. That's right. Because it's always hot there. Well, thank you so much for being this. You're actually the second live interview for my podcast. The first was Jeremy and Zahida, my missionary friends who are still living in southern Lebanon. And that was a really good conversation, but... As you are aware, I asked you last week, I think, was it last week? That's right. If you'd be willing to come on, because I launched this new podcast, It Just Is, with the full study of the RISE 12-step study, which, as you are aware, is sort of my edited version of AA's 12-step study, but As I sat in hundreds of meetings of AA, I realized why in the world isn't everybody living this 12-step lifestyle? And it was just blatantly obvious to me. And I know there's, there's ministries like Regenerate and Celebrate Recovery, but I had done, I had attended some of those as well and just didn't like them as much. I didn't like that they had kind of shortened the 12 steps and I don't know. And so I kind of tackled it to create a 12-step program that addresses signature sins. So it is not just about alcoholism, which is a addictive signature sin for some people, as myself, like myself. But anyways, I thought it would be cool to have you on because I've, I've shared a little bit about the fall of 2019, which is the first and most significant time Ah, the most significant moment in my life where I was genuinely suicidal. And I had woken Mm up. I'd been drunk all night, of course. And it was, what was it? It was probably around seven in the morning or so. 
And it was the first time in my life that I'd ever, you know, as a psychologist and I've been helping and coaching people for 30 years, you know, when someone says they're suicidal, sometimes they are, but many times it's more of a cry for help, right? So one of your first jobs, if you're meeting with someone who is claiming to be suicidal is to go, well, do you have a plan? And if they don't really have a plan, then you know, okay, this isn't like a 911 situation. So in my own head, I'm laying there in my bed, still drunk from drinking all night long. And I thought, you know, I'm done. I'm out. I was separated. That was my first separation. It was about roughly six months in to the separation. You know, my life was just miserable. I was in tremendous pain. And I thought, you know, my, my nine millimeter, my S&P uh, is right there in my closet. I knew right where it was. I thought, I'm just going to get up, go to the closet, grab the gun and end it. And praise God, I do have the training and education I have. And praise God even more that I had been wise enough, as dumb as we can be in life, I had been wise enough to cultivate a really good inner circle of friends, which obviously you are at the top of that list. And whenever, you know, I knew the moment I had the plan and was getting ready to get up, I was like, oh shit, here it goes again. I probably really did say that. And I thought, you know what? This is a problem. You need to call, you need to phone a friend. So I called you. Are you able to hear me? You seem frozen. In my, my audio is messing up. Now it's been, it's been a, it's on my end. Am I back? How's that? Yeah, your audio is good. We're breaking up terribly. My audio is good. All right. No, that is definitely, I've, I've been in a technological hellscape with my Starlink. For some reason, your audio is breaking in and out on my. Yeah, that's totally me. That's completely me. Hold on. Hold on. I wonder if we should turn our cameras off. Is that helping at all? Yeah, that seems to help. All right, just tell me if it gets bad again, I'll probably have to drive somewhere and record it via my Got it. Okay, this this seems to be okay right now. Well, just tell me if it's breaking up too much, and then I'll get in the car and drive to where I can use my cell phone data. Because, of course, I can't use my cell phone data here either. Because I am <laughs> somehow in the United States of America, maybe two and a half miles away from I-25, a major freeway. I cannot get internet and I cannot get cell phone data. In a very impoverished area. Yeah. And it's not impoverished. These are all beautiful 20 acre homesteads. But 
So all I was saying was, you know, in this, I knew I was in trouble as I laid there at roughly seven in the morning. I knew I was in trouble when I had a plan to end everything. And so thankfully, instead of getting up and walking into the closet, I phoned you. Which is why you are being interviewed, because I thought it would be really, I wanted to get your perspective of that day. So obviously I have my perspective, which I've shared before, but what was that like for you to get that call for me that morning? Well, I think initially, you know, when, when someone that you love and care, care deeply about, you know, calls you and and is brutally honest with where they're at in life. It was, it was a bit of a shock um, because we we'd spent a lot of time together, you know, in the recent months leading up to that, and uh, I I didn't understand fully how much pain you were in, um, and so it was it was a bit of a shock. But then I've, at that point, I think you just you go into you go into crisis mode and, and my number one goal in that moment was to communicate to you just how loved and valued you were. And so, um, so I wanted to bring a, a lightness to the situation. I wanted to, wanted to make you laugh. I wanted to listen and I wanted you to feel heard and, I just wanted to communicate as much as I could in that moment, just how special you were and, and how deeply loved you were by me and by others. Amen. And I can tell you that's exactly what happened, which is so, I mean, I knew calling you and getting a brother, getting a, a love, a, a person very important to me was obviously going to be helpful. I didn't exactly know what was going to happen. I, I really, I knew I needed someone there uh, to keep me safe. And that's exactly what you did. Okay. Un unfortunately, Michael, I didn't hear a single word. Son of a biscuit. It was so heartfelt. Uh, uh, all right. I'm going gonna to have to pack this stuff up and go get in my Jeep and drive to a better location. Did you hear any of that? I, I did. I did. <laughs> it was so loving. The audio was perfectly clear when we're, at, when we're not having technical difficulties. I know. God. All right. I Do you have like, can you give me 15, 20 minutes? Yes. All right. I'll call you back just a minute. Hopefully, Casey will be joining me shortly. I am now in my mobile studio off the side of the dirt road. I can see I-25 right in front of me, and uh, I'm recording again. Join the daggum meeting. Oh, sorry. Uh-huh. 
Sounds like you're in a bathroom. Okay. No, I'm joining. Joining. Same, same. Yeah, I texted it to you from both numbers. Aha. Uh -huh. Is this better? Well, you tell me. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you and test. Yeah, great audio. Good. You can see I am sitting in my Jeep. All bundled up. Oh, my gosh. Can you see my breath? Yes. It looks very cold there. Yeah, it is very, very chilly. It's a bit nipply, you might say. Yeah, but I see snow in the background. I actually did a speed test from this very area last night to see if, because I've been having massive internet speed problems, and mainly on the upload end of things, from the schoolie and my Starlink and so I thought, man, because, you know, I do those virtual meetings four days a week, and they've been a nightmare for two weeks. This is what everyone's been experiencing from me is they can't. I'm all jarbled up. So this is working, though, because I'm hoping I yeah, saw this. Is, this, is, this works great. Good. So I get to sit in the freezing cold in a metal Rubicon. Hours every week I get to do that. Yay! So, I can't remember now the very sweet thing I said, but to pick up our story, because I wanted I wanted the listeners, I want people to hear, you know, I'm I'm going to be as open and authentic as I can be, so I'm not hiding any of the dirty details. I'd been drinking all night, like I'd been drinking every night all night. I wake up at seven, I have a plan to kill myself, and I realize, wait a minute, Maybe before you do that, you should phone a friend. So I called you. I also actually called Seth, our other dear friend. And because of my technical difficulties, I wasn't even remotely willing to try to get all three of us on at the same time. But I will. I will try to do that. So I called you first. Then I called Seth. Both of you rushed over. And you had, you had kind of shared at the beginning how your goal was to was to remind me of hey look man you're loved you're valuable you wanted to make me laugh you wanted to lighten the mood so to speak and what i tried to say was you did exactly all of those things i mean i can i i don't remember what we laughed about but how crazy is that that I was absolutely willing to take my life. And then, like, you got there pretty quickly. I'd say within 10, 15 minutes. Yeah, I think so. And within an under a half an hour, I have you there, and then Seth showed up. But I had already been laughing. And we'd already been just connecting. And, and we were connected. I mean, we talked all the time. Um. I'm wondering, because you kind of mentioned, because we did spend a lot of time together, was it, you said it was difficult because you didn't fully understand the level of pain I was in or how right. miserable I was feeling. What was that 
what was that realization like for you? I mean, I don't know. Did you feel, I'm just curious. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but how did yeah. that kind of hit you going, wait a minute, what the hell? Yeah. I don't think it really hit me until after I left your house. So in the moment, you know, you go into crisis mode and, and I knew that I just wanted to lighten the situation and, and communicate how deeply loved you were. Um, I felt a lot of compassion in, in the moment, a lot of empathy, you know, for you. But my main goal was just to, you know, communicate how loved and valued you were. Um, but as I left your house, um, I do remember driving home and feeling a rush of emotion, a mix of emotions. Um, and grief was definitely in there. Um, you know, grief or the, the thought of losing a best friend, uh, grief, you know, that I'm a fairly empathetic person. So I took on, you know, some of that pain that you were experiencing onto myself. Um, and I remember this feeling of, of loneliness, just feeling like the world was against us and, uh, that life had to go on, but there was, you know, I, I, I had a family to provide for, I have to go to work the next day, but nothing, nothing else was as important in my life than you and this situation right now. And, um, and I think a lot of times in my life, I bear the burden, um, I'm bearing the burden of trying to shelter other people from my pain. And so I, 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 I went inward myself and, um, probably didn't, you know, cope as well as I should have, but, um, I felt like I needed to be strong, you know, for you and, and, uh, um, but the, after I left your house, there, there was a lot of grief. There was a lot of loneliness and, and fear, but that's interesting though, the negative emotions that I felt. Yeah. And let's talk more about the idea that I appreciate you sharing openly that, man, I don't know if I handled coping with that stress very well. And you, you mentioned that you tend to want to protect people, which the main people in your life would be Kim your wife. That's right. Your amazing wife and your kids. How many kids do you have again? Seven, eight? Yes. No, three. Three of nine minus six. Yes. Nine minus six. Three wonderful children. And how, yeah, I mean, let's talk about that for a second. Did that, I mean, were you able, you know, did you kind of cope for it? So I'm imagining what did you share with Kim when you got home? Did Kim even know why you were rushing over to my house? I I don't think I I don't think I shared it with her. Um, I, I think I shared simply that you were in a tough place, in a rough place, a bad bad spot, and that I was going over to encourage you. But I didn't share with her. Um, that, that you were actually suicidal. 
that you had all of my guns in your vehicle at that time? Because <laughs> that was that was a smart part, right? It was like, hey, uh, just you know, maybe I should take those for now. And I was like, eh, probably a good idea. So you didn't even share that. So when you got back, what was that? Was there any conversation at all? Yeah, there there was conversation. Um, honestly, I think I've blocked a lot of you know those those negative memories out of my mind. I'm glad I could I be tell you part of your trauma and PTSD story. What I imagine, um, my typical response with Kim and, until um, until about three or four months ago, is I would try to shelter her from, protect her from you know all of the negativity that was that that i'm experiencing in my life and where that led us was over time there became a distance in our relationship and a distance in our intimacy with each other because she can tell something was wrong yeah we rarely hide we rarely hide the the problems in our lives as well as we think we are that's right. So as I'm stuffing, you know, my negative emotions, it just comes out sideways. And so if I'm not sharing with her openly and honestly what's going on in my life, um, then she has to tell herself some type of story. And so the story that she typically tells herself, well, there's something, you know, wrong with me. Casey's wanting to pull away from me. And that really wasn't the case. Um, but my fear was that um, or the lie that I believed was that if I shared open with Kim, now I would have two people to care for. Yeah. You know, that I would have to not just, you know, care for, um, for my best friend, but now I've also got to, you know, care for the, the, uh, care for my wife. And so over time that created distance in our relationship. And I, I learned about three months ago just how much distance that it created over time. And so, so I started really opening up about all of the negative emotions um, and all of the positive emotions, all of the things that are happening in my life. And, and um, it's really, in the moment, sometimes it's hard to share with the person that, you know, you love the most, something very negative that you're feeling or experiencing, especially when you're the exact same personality. Yeah, the two of you are very similar personality, very highly compatible. I've actually complained about the two of you on the podcast before. So we have a lot of fun together. Um, we're both terrible at the same things. Um, uh, you know, we we do our best to keep the common areas clean, but our closet's a total disaster. <laughs> Um, and we're both very empathetic. And so, um, if, if I'm experiencing a lot of emotion, whether those are happy feelings or sad feelings, Kim's going to take on those same emotions. And so, um, when I try to protect her, you know, from the negative emotions, I'm not fooling her. I'm not fully letting her in, uh, to what I'm experiencing, but I'm also keeping her at a distance emotionally and relationally. And as I've learned over the last few months to 
to share with her and, and be honest about you know, what I'm feeling, sometimes in the moment it does, um, it does create more emotion, you know, cause she feels those same feelings that I do, but it creates an opportunity for us to come together as a team that come together as partners. And what I've found is that I now have a, I had, I now have someone to share those moments with, and I feel, I feel more love, feel more intimacy. So are you suggesting that if the two of us turn towards each other and lean into the pain, we're actually stronger together? Yes. Is that I what think, you're saying? I think that's what I'm saying. Hey, I'll, okay, you so know, what you, you're, you've kind of mentioned... Counseling before, you're very good at uh, summarizing things. Well, I didn't it, really even know what I was saying, but... And I'm feeling like... Powerful. I'm assuming whoever might be listening to this right now is also wondering, like, I am... Okay, so what was it three or four months ago that you finally had this breakthrough? Was it a conversation with someone? Was it a book? An article? The Holy Spirit? Was it a demonic battle with a unseen beast in which you yeah. wrestled and you now walk with a limp? Al, it wasn't. An, no, it wasn't that. <laughs> but what the context and the situation, I was going through a very difficult um, experience in business. Um, and I was trying to keep things together, um, but some, uh, some relationships um, in my business life were, were falling apart, and it was affecting it was affecting us financially. Um, it was affecting. Um, uh, it felt like it felt like the whole business was just falling apart, and. Uh, and I couldn't keep things under wraps. I couldn't keep keep myself together. And I was very angry. And Kim could tell I was angry, but she didn't know what I was angry about. And so, and did she I did she internalize that again and assume, well, it must be me? She did initially. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, she asked me what was going on, and you know, asked asked if she had done something wrong. And I realized in that moment, I've just got to tell her everything that's happening because I, I can't shoulder this burden, you know, by myself anymore. And, um, and so I, I think it was, you know, the, the context of the realization that, that I no longer had the strength within myself to carry the burden anymore. And and I realized that I wasn't meant to carry the burden, that we were, um, we were created to be in relationship with one another. And the, the, the very thing that had, had, um, created this difficult business situation was, you know, multiple parties all trying to be very selfish and individualistic instead of coming together as a team and trying to outdo one another by with honor and love and so so i realized that the antidote you know to the the, the personal situation the business situation 
was coming together as a team. Um, uh, laying well, down. in essence, you were doing what these business partners and friends were doing to your own life. That's right. Is what that's it sounds right. like. You're like, oh no, which is, that's I mean, right. that's all of us. We all do that. And like, that's a terrible way to be, uh oh, crap. I'm doing the same thing. That's right. Yeah, but how good for you, though? Because it is a risk, right? I mean, it's a risk being brutally honest and totally open and putting it all out there. But, I mean, I know I know Kim very well. I would consider her one of my best friends as well. And, I mean, the risk had to be slightly low, right? Like, I doubt you were thinking, right. oh, if I open up, she's going to leave me. I doubt that. Fear. No, no. But, but it's at the same time though, Hey, I, you know, and that's, what's crazy Casey. And it's something I've been learning dramatically since I put my foot down back in 2019, um, that you cannot grow and I cannot be healthy. I can't be everything God is calling me to be if I'm unwilling to face and lean into the pain. And it sounds like, I mean, it sounds like for you that, and you, you said it yourself that, whoa, opening up and finally just dumping all the bad and good, uh, whoa, shock of shocks brought us closer together. And I became stronger. The two of you became stronger. I mean, would that be a fair assessment of what the last four months have been? 100%. And, um, you know, as you've been telling me about your experience with the the 12-step program, um, I think that's something that the vast majority of the world misses out on is that it's having a group of people to meet with on a regular basis where you can share the highs and the lows in a context in a place that's completely safe without judgment and full acceptance. And without that, um, we end up, you know, trying to you know, shoulder the burden ourselves, and we just weren't meant to. We were we were meant and designed and created to be in community with other people, and it's only in community with other people that we can really grow and heal uh, in in the way that we need to. And so, I've been very, um, as I've listened to you talk about the twelve steps and and this new study. What's it called again? Rise. Yeah. Yeah. Thank, uh, thanks for knowing that offhand, by the way. Yeah. Shows shows great interest in my life and ministry. I'm I'm very excited to so start would, that study. What was that little thing you've been working on? Oh, you mean the 12 steps that saved my life, you jerk? <laughs> but yeah, I think we were we were we were meant to be in community with each other and, and so well, I think community with others, can we achieve the healing that we need? Yeah. And that bring, you're bringing us brilliantly back to the whole 
point of this conversation is on that very, very dark day. I think it was like November-ish of 2019. We just got into December now, so this is a good five years later, four or five years later. I can't do that kind of math in my head. Um, You know, one of the things that's standing out prominently in my brain right now is are you are you a psychologist i am not a psychologist do you have an advanced degree in crisis intervention and suicidality i do not huh so what you're saying when you go hey we are not meant to live alone we need to have a community which is you know probably one of the healthiest things that I had done in my life. And community has been very important to me. And you and I became best friends in around 2006-ish. And you were, you know, I was attracted to you as a friend. Well. Oh, thank you. And we'll always have Paris. (laughs) We'll always have Paris. (laughs) Our honeymoon in Paris. Yes. But you were, because of your faith, because of your heart, because of your attitude, because you were positive. We obviously get along. We're also very similar in personality style, but you're able to be deeply, darkly sarcastic. You're able to mess around. You're not, you know, I'm never going to develop a very close relationship with a hyper-religious person or a super prude person, right, that can't kid about totally, well, Frankly, that on a whim can't become my husband without any warning at all in a customs line in Paris, France. You know, you're not going to be my best friend. You, If you're going to be my best friend, you got to be willing to go to places that maybe you would not have thought of before. And so, and so I asked the whole psychology thing and are you okay? Because what frustrates me sometimes is people think, well, I mean, I'm not a pastor or I'm not a professional. I'm not a counselor. And and if if anybody gets anything from this, develop community, but also recognize, man, you don't have to be an expert. I mean, what you want to be an expert in, and everyone can do this, is loving others well, being available to them, answer the call. And when your friend says, hey, you know, I don't even, I don't know how I even, who, I probably worded it weirdly or inappropriately when I called you. Do you even remember? Yeah. Do you remember what I said at all? I don't. I don't either. I would imagine, I would imagine it came across in a sarcastic kind of joking tone. Hey, so, um, what are you doing? Yeah, let's wait. Let's recreate the call. We're going to recreate the call. Ring, ring. Now you answer it. Hey, Smalley, what's going on, man? Hey, what are you doing? Man, I am, uh, I'm watching some football. So I was thinking about killing myself. That's probably how it went down. I bet you, I bet you anything. I probably just went, yeah, this is, this is miserable. It probably was though. Probably because that's literally the first thing that popped into my head to say after you greeted me and you don't have to be a professional. You just have to be available. And it irritates me that people, 
they're scared to do that, right? Like you jumped in the car, you weren't professionally trained and you don't have to be, you just knew, hey, and and, and if I can encourage anybody, because I, I mean, suicide is not this rare thing. I mean, there are, you know, there are a lot of people that have to deal with the impact of a loved one, of a best friend, of a sibling, of somebody taking their own life because they got too miserable and they chose to quit and give up on it, which is what I was doing that morning. And instead of taking that, you know, what do you, what do you always say to someone about suicide? What is it? It's, um, you know, don't do a, you know, yeah, don't make a permanent solution for a temporary problem, right? Because here I am, five years later, still alive, actually more content and satisfied and joyful than I ever have been. And this is also considering that I am officially divorced. So the marriage expert guy who's been doing nothing but marriage ministry for 30 years, you know, I'm only, the divorce was finalized at the time of this recording in May. So I'm, you know, I'm still very much hurting from it. I'm still very, you know, I have my cry days and my cry mornings, but the level of growth I've experienced since since 2019 is extraordinary because I didn't quit. I didn't kill myself that day. Instead of killing myself with my 9mm S&P, uh, I called a friend. I called friends, but I'm only talking to you right now because Seth, let's be honest, we both really don't like him. <laughs> He's always been a third wheel in our relationship. So no, not at all. We love Seth. We love you, Seth. We do. But you can't bring girls to hunting camp. <laughs> we were on a text thread earlier this morning about... Uh, I was like, what in the world does that mean? And uh, he said, uh, can I bring Noel? We said, no, he can't bring a girl on, our hun- on, on the hunting trip. And it turns out to be his brother. Ah! <laughs> So, but P.S. Wait, I forgot his brother is named Noel. That is the yes. weirdest. And, and he like a beast of a fireman or something? He is a beast. Like he is, he is bowed up. He's the manliest of men. He is. And his name, it's like a girl named Sue. That's right, a girl named Sue. The manliest of mans. Is that the, is that the correct phrase or is it the manliest of men? I think it's the manliest of men. Yeah, it would be the plural of man is not mans. Are, are they sure? Yeah, I'm I'm pretty confident. the The plural of man is men. So the a man amongst gooses, men gooses, right? You call actually goose. The plural would be geese. What about moose? It's just so difficult. What about moose? So difficult. That's why I stay in Texas. I know. Moose is not meese. Yeah, it makes no sense. There's actually some good... Brian Regan has a great bit on that. But seriously, though, I love... Man, Casey, I think you did such a good job of expressing to people, if you have a loved one, if you have a best friend who calls you and says, I'm thinking about killing myself, you know, if your goal is to go over there and remind them of how much they are loved, how valuable they are to lighten the mood, 
right? I mean, I don't know. I had a friend that the Holy Spirit made me call. Literally, I was just driving from South Carolina to Atlanta for a wedding. And the Holy Spirit was like, you need to call him now. I was like, oh, good Lord. That's okay. I'll, I'll call him. So I called him and he's like, what's up, Smalley? I go, what's up, bro? What are you doing? He goes, I'm sitting here with my nine millimeter in my head, ready to blow my head off. I went, oh, so you're not doing well. <laughs> Next thing you know, I'm on the phone with him for three hours. And and all people need in those circumstances is another person, right? We need that community. We need to know we're loved and we need the mood lightened and we need to be able yeah. to laugh. And you actually can laugh in those moments. It's okay. Don't worry about saying something wrong. I mean, it probably would have been the wrong mood for you to like come over and go, where's the gun? All right, now do this properly because I'm sick of dealing with you. That, yeah. that would be the wrong mood. But to just be there, to be present, to be available, to not freak out and be like, ah, gee, I don't know if I should come over right now. I'm not overly comfortable with strong emotions or feelings. No, just be available to someone. And it made, I mean, I can tell you I'm alive today because even though I didn't start addressing my drinking problem yet, that had really just started to become a problem by then. I mean, I'd been kind of drinking heavily, maybe a little bit heavily, but I hadn't really just completely sold out on on staying, basically staying drunk for the day. And and that was definitely during that time. And so even though it still took me till roughly April of 2022 to really genuinely address that issue in my life, the this oddly enough, the suicide thing has not been a problem since. And and I can say it from my perspective, it's because of my friendship with you. It's because of the, the friendship with my brother, Greg, and Seth, and different people. Well, the Stone family that I'm living on their property now, um, I have still made it a priority. And, and I know that even though things are tough for me right now as well, financially, I'm I'm kind of on a forced sabbatical right now. So this podcast and my VIP group and the virtual group is really the only ministry that I'm doing because it's a it's really the only ministry that I can handle emotionally right now, right? As I'm still trying to heal from my own divorce, um I I have not I have not uh what's the word I'm what 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 am I looking for here? I've not neglected community because, and, and what's crazy and is when I do get low, it's not that I don't get low again. It's, you know, I haven't gotten as low to go, Hey, let me just get the gun and end things. I've definitely not gotten close to that yet, but I'll start getting lonely or I'll start getting depressed or I'll look around and go, I'm living in a bus. I'm literally pooping in a compost toilet that has a trash bag that I have to empty <laughs> once a week, you know, carry my poop to the big trash can outside. Um, there are times where I get a little bit discouraged. And what I do now is I get up and I get involved and I walk up to the big house. If the fan, if the stones or any of the kids are there and I hang out, I'll call my brother or frankly, I'll go to an AA meeting because there's, you know, 
What's crazy about AA is just how big it is. I mean, it's massive. Yeah. yeah. It's unbelievable how many alcoholics are there in the world. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy, dude. Like within five square miles of where I'm living now, there's probably 15, 20 daily groups that you can get. So it's really easy. You download the app, you look up. And that's partly what I hope that rise, the rise 12 step study can become for people is a way is an entry point to really start building meaningful relationships and community in your life where everybody's on the same page. That's what I loved about AA. It's like, Hey, here's 12 things. And if you do these 12 things and I've you know, as I kind of reworked them, I didn't invent this. Obviously, Bill Wilson invented it back in the 20s and 30s. But as I, you know, the approach I've taken with it is it's 12 steps to freedom from signature sin through Christ. Mm-hmm. So whereas AA, and sometimes they get criticized for this and it annoys the heck out of me. You know, because they'll go, whatever your higher power. Yeah, you know what? They do that because they want to be inclusive. They want everybody to come. But trust me, if you read the big book that Bill Wilson put together, uh, there is no doubt it was God. And we're talking about God. And virtually everyone I've ever experienced in AA, that's who they ultimately connect with when they find that healing. And it was one of those things, Casey, that I've shared on the podcast so far that you know, it's one of the hard lessons for me in this whole journey since 2019 and finally being honest with myself with what was happening in my marriage, but then also how I was coping with all the pain and all the, my own sin and, and my need to escape pain and to avoid pain at all costs. Um, it's... I had to confront that, yeah, I profess I believe, but all of my actions in the dark or in the secret places or when no one right. looking right. tell a completely different story. It said, hey, I trust alcohol. Or before that, right. it was I trust in food. I was really bowing down at the altars of food and alcohol, and it, it really wasn't until I sobered up, and it was probably a good four to six months into my my recovery that I finally faced that truth that, oh my God, I'm kind of a fraud. Not, okay, I just, it's so funny. I just minimized that statement. It was a good four to six months into my own recovery that I realized I was a fraud. There's no way I can't, I'm not overstating that. I'm doing my best not to understate it. But I had to recognize that, oh my God, you have you have been trusting in everything but Christ. I believed in Christ, absolutely. I never denied Christ. I didn't I didn't trust him. My faith was in other things. And that's right. been my continued healing and my continued recovery has has really come down to that, has been that relationship, which is why I love the twelve steps, because the twelve steps, yeah. in my opinion, are it's the easiest it's the easiest path to go, okay, wait, what do I do to get my life back on track? No matter what my sin is, whether it's addiction, right, whether it's right. pride, whether it's avoidance, codependency, ignorance, whatever it is, there's a path. And I'm I'm 
I'm happy to hear that you haven't read it yet, even though you've had access probably for a year. No. I don't think I've given you access. No. I don't think I've given you access yet either. I'll do it because you did this interview. Purchase it for my best friend. No, don't purchase it. I was going to get some free things. You're going to get it free. Don't you dare. Don't you dare purchase it. Okay, so. It's my gift for for joining the podcast today. It is your gift and the gift of life and the gift of a very special one-time, one 18-hour honeymoon. Oh, fantastic. That was a gift. To Paris. That yep, was a that gift. That was a gift. You were trying to think, that, what 18-hour? What oh, yeah, right. Now we have so many of them. Hey, do you remember? Do you remember? Oh, my gosh. Do you remember when we took all of our kids camping in Galveston? <laughs> oh, what a disaster. And oh my our, wives, our wives had the the wisdom to yep. foresee that it was going to be a disaster. Yes, they did. And so <laughs> Amy and him said, yeah, you guys go camping. We're going to stay at the, the nice hotel with the swimming pool. What was it? The Hotel Galvez. Yes, Hotel Galvez. And <laughs> we, when we got to the beach. How and cold was it? Unprepared. Now, granted, we did not expect for it to be that cold. It never gets that cold. Ever. It never gets that cold in Texas. And it must have been in the 40s that night. I remember it being 18 below, but okay, we'll go with 40. So we, we were fighting elements. We were fighting fire ants, you know, with yeah, young kids. Right. It was a total... Total disaster. Hey, my favorite moment. It was like the middle of the night. We didn't bring enough blankets. I don't even, I honestly don't think we even had sleeping bags. Our tent, I mean, not. we were so ill-prepared for a freezing cold evening. On the beach, it was windy. The kids couldn't even play. And it was like two in the morning or something. And I, th- I can't remember if it was Gray or Pierce, but one of your kids started, like, shaking me a little bit, trying to wake me up. And and I kind of looked, and, and their little lips were blue, were actually the color blue. And I went, hey, man, we got to go. I think kids are about to start dying on us. So we ended up going to the Hotel Galvez as well. Yeah, and it felt like an eternity before the sun came up. And uh, by the time we were having breakfast, you know, at 7 a.m. at Hotel Galvez, you know, it, it didn't feel like an eternity. It was a nightmare, and we had disaster. Hey, so here's a question for you. Two questions. One, would you be willing to come back on the podcast with me? 100%. Aha! Now, remember that you committed to that. Because one of the things, and we've kind of brought it up here at the end, so potentially no one is listening anymore to this. But, you know, one of the things that I have struggled doing, and I've wanted to, but then I haven't wanted to, and then when I realized I probably need to, I thought, I have no idea how to And would you be willing to come back on? Because 
I want to be able to share. I don't, I'm not, I'm committed. I feel very confident that, I mean, people, and I haven't hid the fact that I am divorced, but I haven't really kind of talked about it at all for the most part. And I don't know what it was, but throughout at some point in you and I talking together today, I thought, ooh, if Casey might be willing, it's like I, I realized I need someone else for me to be able to process and remain healthy, remain respectful, because I, you know, I have no desire to be dishonoring to Amy. And I wanna be, I wanna be able to have a conversation about at least my part in what led to our ultimate mm. divorce. And and because I want to be able to share that because there I was 100% responsible for my part. And I've been wanting to be able to share that, but I haven't been able to figure out how to do it. Like, I just couldn't do it by myself, right? Just sitting somewhere talking about because it, it just it felt unsafe, yeah. I think, to me. Would, would you be open to it? Because you were actually there the first time that she got served in 2019. You were the guy that I reached out to because I wanted to have a third party and a, a witness just to keep everything above board. Um, and so you, 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 and you've been intimately involved in encouraging me the entire time. It, would you be open to helping me have that conversation where maybe you play the host role? For sure. Yeah. Let's do it. And then we just keep it about my own debauchery, my own journey. All right. That's right. I love, I love uh, pointing out your sin and debauchery. <laughs> so this this is gonna be a fantastic. You're like, wait, we get to focus an entire show on just your stupidity and brokenness and sin. Done. Count me in. Is it for the things I did to you in Paris? Is that why? Yeah, you know, well, there's been so many situations. <laughs> so dragging you to, dragging you to Zimbabwe. Yes, making me ride an elephant oh! in a lake. Okay, we'll, we'll, you know what? We'll also have to do a show I had forgotten with. Or how about the time the largest lion in Africa attacked you at the fence line and you passed out and wet yourself? Yes, that was, uh, that was very exciting. That was a good event. Literally, it's all Drew. We rode elephants together, and we were a bludgeon. Water on my pants. Yeah, sure, sure. It was water. No, I mean, yeah, it yeah. was. It was water. You flat out crumpled, and I have it was video. Terrifying. I have video of terrifying. It was terrifying, but it was so. On your back, you turn your back for a moment, and the king of the jungle comes out of nowhere, lets out. A I mean, roar. Yes. I mean, like, roar. the largest lion in Africa-sized roar. Slams against a chain-link fence, and I just... You go, just both got up. smacked. I don't remember what happened. I know, you literally crumbled right in front of me. And what's so funny, and why I love Africa, is you can be right next to a, a gigantic lion where the only thing between you is a chain-link fence. But then we were in between the fence and barbed wire. I don't know why the right. barbed wire was even, I think it was probably to keep people away from the fence. <laughs> and you and I went under it. Yeah. And so when we got knocked, the cat all over. Yeah. 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 All right. We'll go into that detail too. 
I think that'd be yeah. a good plan. All right, so next week. Good podcast. Next week. You'll do it next week on Friday? Next week on Friday. All right, done. It's a date. It's a date. Hey, thank it's you. A date. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for being available on that day in 2019. And I cut you off. I didn't cut you off. I cut off everybody at certain points during the last five years. And I am deeply appreciative that you never quit on me, even though one of my terrible coping styles is to just completely shut down and cut myself off from the world. But um, it's deeply meaningful that you've hung with me all this time. I don't deserve you. Man, you are one of the special ones, Dr. Schmally. You make me want to be a better man. Why can't I quit you? <laughs> Dr. Smalley, in, in the um, words of an, another famous therapist, you're good enough, you're smart enough, and doggone it, people love you. Bill, you have really, you have been a constant, even even in the times when you were you were pulling away, I knew it was, you just needed some space, you needed some some time, or I had to you get my crap together, work, work through things, you know, with God, and um, and I didn't take it personally, and I knew that, um, in the times that you were hopeless, I never lost hope for you, and um, I think that's why relationships and being in community with others is so important because. In those dark, dark moments of our lives, we need someone else to remind us that we're not alone. That the lies that we we are believing, we need someone to combat that with truth. That the situation is not hopeless. We are not alone. And um, when we're feeling afraid, um, it's so cold. Dude, that was so good. So... You could not have landed that plane any better. I really appreciate it. You bet, man. Well, hey, love you. And I love you. Love being in community and in a relationship with you. And uh, look forward to talking with you next week. All right, brother. Till next time. Till next time.